hosting Out of Obscurity, live from Cambridge, Wisconsin, and uh, somewhere in China, I believe. Well, Thailand, but, you know. No Thailand, I screwed it up. I apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome to Out of Obscurity, uh, and welcome to uh, welcome to Optimus Grimes. <clears throat> there are other Grimes out there, and we don't care about them. We have the Optimists with us. Yes, um, my ex-wife is terrible. <laughs> I'm joking. Excellent. Before we get it, before we get into our two picks today, which are uh, the album the album uh, Decalb Effing City, which we're going to keep it to uh, family friendly. I'm going to say effing, and if you if you let it slip, I'll probably edit you edit you in post production. If you let me f okay. off, go. Uh, by Demons, and my pick is. Uh, my pick is Sun Q by Iku. Before we get into those picks, uh, OG Optimus Grimes, would you please uh, tell us a little, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? What's your connection well, to music? Well, I've been booking shows now for about uh, 20 years. Started when I was about 19 at a great band out of Cambridge called The Very Idea with my sister and the Hoist sisters and Elsa Nicola. And uh, we were called The Very Idea, and we played at the Cambridge Youth Center a lot and would play to, like, hundreds of kids. So and, would, you say, um, would you say music is pretty important in your life? Yes, it is, yes. How many, how many bands have you been in in your, in your, uh, in your um, career, so to speak? Well, some bands have only lasted a day. Yeah, they still count. I'd say, <laughs> I'd say close to, like, 40 bands at the holy school. cow holy cow and you're not even you're not even 40 yourself <laughs> no yeah and uh it's just a total obsession and so so then bands staying together or breaking up is something that you can relate to personally in terms of the difficulties yeah yeah all right that's good that's good to have this is this is a first for for, for the show here it's right. like a great love romance. You you meet these people and you're in love with them for a bit, and then you break up and sometimes you hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, let's let's leave the hate behind and move on to the love. Uh, uh, our first pick of the day is uh, as as uh, is yours, OG, and uh, the album title is the album title is Decal effing city uh not the most family friendly but uh we're, uh, the music is certainly uh, wholesome and uh, we'll talk about it at length i want to give some basic specs here before i let uh, let my co-host describe it in uh, in great detail uh so again the the name of the band is demons the album came out in 2008 it has 11 tracks is 33 minutes long is on the late on the record label scratch and sniff you can download it for free on Bandcamp. You'll find a link in the show notes. How do you want to start talking about this album, OG? Um, well, I'll describe uh, my good friends Sam Chalky and Paul Kim here, who formed Demons um, shortly before this album. Uh, Paul Kim is um, kind of like a genius of sorts. He's a six foot six Korean guy, and Sam Chalky is another genius of sorts too um they just wanted to make some hip-hop dance music and um paul's always working on stuff he's still got more demons albums coming out 
Let me let me stop you. Let me stop you real quick. We're going to talk about the genre here. You say this. Is, you say they wanted to make a, a hip hop album. I I did not get hip hop from this at all. Is this supposed to be rapped over? Is this providing beats for an MC or uh, what was their intent? I'd say Paul Kim is and Sam are kind of producers of sorts. They yeah. they bring a lot of people together to collaborate. And um, well, that was clear Paul, from the album. Paul is a blast to hang out with. Um, one of my all-time greatest friends. Um, I've worked on some music with him over the years, and uh, yeah, he's he's just an amazing person. Do you know there uh, on this album? Do you know who is responsible for what instrumentation or production or that technical stuff? Um, it's hard to say who was all involved. There was probably close to 20 people involved but um elizabeth hill does vocals on quite a few of the songs um mm -hmm. yeah has uh elizabeth and her best friend elena hallex are singing on it mm -hmm. and uh, it was the idea was to make a hit summer song with that song <laughs> <laughs> And uh, the, the title track that you're, you're referring to? No, Heat Yeah. It's oh, uh, okay. I will look it's back like at the track in the summertime. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. There was a there was a more pop oriented song that yeah. must have been near the end, right? Yeah. Decalb Effing City features uh, Martin Webster and Elizabeth Hill on vocals. They trade off a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so Martin Webster is, or Spider Webster, as we call him, um, he's a professional dart player these days. Huh. He goes to tournaments and wins lots of money playing darts. <laughs> okay. That's a different, uh, different career path, I'll say. Yeah. I should say that uh, I should say that this is an ooh out of obscurity uh, exclusive. This is not uh, this is not an album that's easy to find, at, or easy to find or stream. And uh, what what about their uh, their their label Scratch and Sniff Records? Can you tell us anything about that? So Scratch and Sniff Records is uh, it's a label out of DeKalb, and it was kind of started as a joke because we used to have a website for it. And you could order CDs on it, but we'd send CDs out that just had like artwork penciled in or like liner notes scribbled in. And we made it appear that we were a legit record label that people thought they could actually get signed to. Hey. And, um, the funny part is, I have a storefront on Facebook that is Scratch and Sniff Records Music Gear and Distro. And I've been calling it that to make it appear that the label still exists. <laughs> you're, the, uh, you're the you're the corporate headquarters of one. Yes, <laughs> and so, my friends are all in on the joke. <laughs> very good. Very good. Your secret's safe with me. All right. Um, can you tell uh, Can you tell uh, the listeners uh, this is not uh, maybe a, a scene that a lot of people are familiar with the DeKalb music scene? Uh, how could, How would you describe the, uh, the the environment in which this uh, this album came from in the early early twenty uh, first century? Well, DeKalb has still got a music scene of sorts. Um, 
the 7th Street Space was kind of the headquarters of it, and they still do shows to this day at the 7th Street Space. Um, it's an old auto parts store, I believe, and they converted it into a band practice space and recording studio. And um, there's a lot of metal bands that play there now, like Richardson Richardson and MZRCDXVL, and um, a really great band called Sick Tired is from DeKalb. There's a lot of pseudo-famous people hanging out in DeKalb if you hang out there long enough. Mm -hmm. um, there was a great band out of Rockford called Geronimo that had some DeKalb connections, and they actually had a music video on uh, Fuse TV, or Fuse Music TV or whatever that's called. Okay. But, um, I don't I don't know any of this, and I, I'm glad you're describing it, because uh, I think living, I, as I assume DeKalb is living in the shadow of Chicago, maybe it doesn't get uh, as much attention as a lot of other places, so this is totally yeah. new for a lot of people out there. It's called the seventh suburb of Chicago, or like the furthest suburb of Chicago, but it's okay. still about an hour and a half drive away if you take uh, I-88, I believe. Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, the cow. I guess uh, back in 2003, I was at Summerfest and I met this kid, Nat, and Asia Hoist walked up to him and said, that's a very cool Radiohead shirt. So um, we talked to Nat at the Wilco show at Summerfest all night. I think your brother Nathan was even there. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, we um, traded info, and uh, Nat would email us for the next six months telling us we got to come down to DeKalb. We're like, we barely even know you, dude. Like, why would we want to come down there? <laughs> and uh, the rest is history. Made all my greatest friends, and uh, yeah, it's it's a special place to me. I still try to go back once in a while. And so, I, would you say? Uh, would you say that the early 2000s were a heyday, or is it uh, is still thriving in your view? Or? It slowed down a bit, but um, a new guard kind of came on. Um, a few of the OGs <laughs> still live in DeKalb and do things there and keep it afloat, but um, there's also a lot of new kids that move there since it's a college town and kind of run the show now. So What's, what's the university there? Uh, Northern Illinois University. Which you keep yeah. things fresh, uh, yeah. It's yeah. A lot of turnover then. Yeah, it's a great uh, school for jazz music. Um, Fareek Hawk, who's an amazing guitarist, lives in DeKalb. And um, there's a few other places that kind of come and go that were music venues there. There was a lot of house shows for a while and... Uh, secret spots like uh, Seven Dead Arson, which was many different music venues. It was the rodeo for a while. And uh, we brought a lot of bands from all over the world into DeKalb, um, like My Way, My Love, uh, which is Yukio Murata's band. Um, just an incredible Japanese band. Yukio does amazing things all the time. And um, he, I think he's a university teacher and you can get guitar lessons from him. Don't quote me on that. But um, 
we we also had bands like Green Milk from the Planet Orange come. Uh, we had an amazing slumber party with them. Uh, my sister was talking to the guitarist and at length, and she's like, she finally said to him, she's like, do you understand anything I'm saying? And he's like, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Where are, they? are they also Japanese? I'm not familiar with them. Yes, they are. They're, they're like, they kind of sound like Jimi Hendrix meets Today is the Day. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Look out for them. Yeah. 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 May, have, may have heard of them. I don't know if they were on on some kind of a, a, a concert lineup for, I don't remember if it was Fuji Rock or something else, but uh, you, you only need to hear Green Milk from the Planet Orange once, the name, and then you, it kind of sticks with you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they have a great song where he's like, do you want to fight me? <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. Any any music in English as a second language is uh, deserving of attention. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, all right. Um, <laughs> you have anything more to say about DeKalb or uh, you want um, to the, get to the album? I guess if you're ever cruising around the United States... Um, Pop in at 7th Street Space, check it out on Facebook, friend some people, go see a show there. It's just, it's a place unlike anything else, and uh, I've played who knows how many concerts there at this point, and been to so many there, and uh, it's really amazing that after 20 years, it's still up and going, because places like this don't exist it sounds like a yeah safe almost a safe space for like a, a pressure cooker to uh get up all over you know cook your ideas and you know build a sound or something or build a following away from the uh, away from all the harsh criticism of the of the big city yeah exactly yeah everybody in DeKalb eventually moves to chicago but the story is if you Set foot in the Kishwaukee River, you'll never leave the cab. <laughs> ah. excellent, excellent, excellent. Of course, a lot of uh, a lot of music venues and uh, live live performing artists are hurting now with the pandemic, right? I assume this is all on on pause. Um, you'd be surprised. I've been to about six concerts since the shutdown, and hmm. uh, I can't tell you exactly where they are because. We're operating in secret. Wow! Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ever, don't everybody performing in masks or what? Uh, no, not really. Especially hmm. if you're a saxophone player. That's, that's pretty hard. If you're, yeah, you got a reed instrument and you got a mask on to play. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's interesting. It's really underground then. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I did attend a music fest a few weeks back ago also a secret on where that took place but we'll just say it was on uh some amazing farmland um <laughs> outside of columbus wisconsin and excellent i can't give any more details than that all right well you know socially distancing in a concert is uh, is not easy or a mosh pit for that matter but uh you find a way you're young and young and healthy so stay that way yep Smoking keeps you alive. <laughs> not really. Well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> we're not gonna we're not gonna fact check this podcast. So uh, <laughs> say whatever you like. What right. can you uh, What can you tell us? How do you feel about this album? 
Tell us some, um, some things about this album. I'd say it's a bona fide legendary album um, among a group of self-indulgent legends. <laughs> <laughs> Self-regard is the finest. <laughs> yeah. So, did you know the uh, details of recording it? Which studio or who was on the, how long it took or was it the, their first or? Um, well, I think it was mostly recorded at Paul Kim's house. Um, possibly on a Tascam four-track tape deck. Because this was back before computers had really hit for recording, so uh, many of the DeKalb albums are poorly recorded on tape decks. (laughs) And uh, this album actually has better sound quality than a lot of DeKalb albums. I I didn't notice any any, uh, bad sounds or bad mixing or anything. Yeah, this this sounds fine. I think Paul had kind of perfected his craft at this time. He uh, he actually had a band called Della Drive that existed in many different formats. Um, they started out as kind of a country band, and uh, country. Then had, uh, <laughs> yeah, then he had a lineup of it called Della Drive and the Delettes, where they did '60s R and B. Excellent. So, um yeah i had i had all these bands play my birthday parties um and uh we we definitely were ridiculous because you got a bunch of kids setting up in a park making ungodly noise and then Mm -hmm. the cops would show up and be like you're being too loud and then you pull out the permit and they'd be like, oh, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> All by the book. That's great. That's great. Very eclectic birthday parties, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. And I'm actually doing another one very soon at another secret location. Excellent. Good to stay active in these tough times. Um, yeah. So in terms of production, then, you, you mentioned it was probably done in, in a home in a home location. Would you call this uh, lo-fi, indie electronic, or uh, I, I don't really hear the hip-hop still. Yeah. Well, it's like music genres are kind of subjective. Um, like, uh, we'll say, take a band like ID and Abilities, for instance. Like, mm-hmm. DJ Abilities has figured out how to make a hip-hop album sound like a rock band and somehow play a guitar solo with the turntable so sure sure hip-hop anything's possible kind of be a lot of different things i guess i wouldn't say there's really any rapping on this album would you i uh, no, no definitely there's like two vocal tracks i would consider and then the rest is more kind of sound collage uh sampling there is sampling which i guess is a hip-hop technique technique yeah. but the I would just say this is more of a synth pop or electronic album, indie indie electronic. If you want to go, if you want to say it's lo-fi, but again, I the guess sound I would say yeah. that. Okay, so it's good to yeah. it's good to narrow down exactly what kind of music we're talking about. Yeah, I, I guess I'd call it an electronica album then, with a few pop songs on it. Sure. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. I mean, hip hop is a pretty broad term too. You can including turntablism and. Uh, what you know, all kinds of other non 
not you don't necessarily have to have an MC to be hip hop, but I'm I'm just not sure that I'm not sure that a lot of these tunes would uh, would be improved by having somebody rapping over them. It seems like they they stand alone, not just as beats for somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'd say Paul and Sam lay the foundation, and then they bring in a whole host of collaborators on all the Demons albums. Um, mm-hmm. Just Paul is, um, he gets around, he knows a lot of people and, uh, he's fun to work with. This is a, this is kind of an early example of their work. They've probably gone on to larger and greater things and maybe getting done some studio work. Do you think? Uh, yeah, I'd say Paul mostly still records in his home. Um, I've hung out with him before and I've seen him with a turntable where he takes snippets of different things and starts layering them together. And before you know it, he's got a whole song and he's just like a master of it. And then Mm -hmm. Paul is an incredible bass player and guitarist. And, uh, he also plays drums and Sam, um, is always playing something. Um, Sam's kind of a, great master of computer programming so um do you personally have a preference between something like lo-fi home bedroom home recording or like diy aesthetic versus something that has a big name producer if you get if they got if demons got steve albini or or or, uh butch vig to produce an album would you like it better or worse um i Honestly, like with music nowadays, how it's evolved, um, recording can be done pretty cheaply and you can get good sound quality now for not a lot of money. And Mm -hmm. um, I think Paul and Sam are just masters enough at the craft. I don't think they'd even consider like having somebody do something like that. Interesting. I mean, I think Demons has only played like one live show at this point. It's All right. Been mostly studio. So I was at their only yeah. live show. Good, good, good. So you're, what you're saying though is that even if someone like a superstar producer who had this vision, let's say, okay, you're this, you're this uh, multi-talented uh, poly polymath who can do everything you play all the instruments do all the electronics and do the mixing and stuff all yourself but you're not breaking through to the next level to where commercial people might actually well for example this is a free download if you want to reach the point where people are actually paying money to uh to own your music or you know seeking it out on a streaming platform there's another level of production isn't there that where you i mean if you played this for the average person maybe they wouldn't be into it quite as much as you. Do you think that's worth worth doing for them, or is that would that uh, compromise their their indie aesthetic, the DIY? Well, well, there's the whole thing, are you infamous or are you famous? And you really want to be famous and end up like, Kanye West, where everybody knows all your business. Maybe, yeah, maybe not. Maybe, maybe the goal isn't fame. I think we're going to talk about that with the other pick too. Is as uh, you know, you can be well produced and professionally produced and uh, sound just as you know. I mean, there's. I think this is clearly still some some guy in his bedroom is what I'm saying. It's still obviously lo-fi, and I think that if. Uh, 
if not just to become famous, which I think is is a, is beyond reach for ninety nine point nine percent of people, no matter what they do, but you can yeah. still you can still make some money, right? You can still you know pay for your lunch on your on your tour at least or something. Yeah, I mean, you'd be surprised what a devoted following can do if you do something that makes people believe in you. You're usually taken care of on some level, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one thing I learned about DeKalb. It was just like we had all these people showing up all the time from all over the world. And you'd invite them into your house and you'd make them dinner and you'd give them a shower. And that's kind of the way music works. Um, right. On, just, the, on the ground. Yeah. Ground level. Yeah. You just you just start to realize if you kick it into gear enough and you care about it enough like you usually got if you got that much you got it figured out well for any for any independent musician you're doing you're playing your music you're making it primarily for yourself and your friends and your circle of uh, your circle of your, your fans and followers which probably is is going to is going to number presumably in the dozens hundreds maybe thousands rather than the millions right yeah exactly okay but is is there any desire or in, to, would you encourage your friends to try to see if they could put out a commercial product that would be with the intent to make money? I yeah, I would say I would say um, take whatever you can get. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, if somebody's going to give you a fantastic offer, go for it. I mean, yeah, if somebody if somebody approached them with a record deal, let's say a, 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 a reputable. A, a record label with somewhat more of a reputation than Scratch and Sniff approach them and say, "Would you do a three record, three album deal?" And you would encourage them to take that and, and go with it. Yes, I would. Yeah. Okay. And um, you wouldn't you wouldn't be worried that they would compromise their uh, their independence. They wouldn't be selling out. No, I don't think so. I I think the ultimate goal with music is if you're passionate about it and you care enough about it you want to do it the rest of your life and it it's just a never-ending journey um, sure 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 yeah not only never-ending but also all-consuming <laughs> all-consuming yes i yeah. i have racked my brain around this uh thinking i'm not making enough money to making enough money to maxing out credit cards we won't get into my money foibles but yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, do you want to talk about any of the individual songs? Um, yeah, I guess. Um, so you call an album Decal Effin City and you got a title song about that. Mm-hmm. And I guess um, it's just uh, it's just we have such an admiration for DeKalb and the power it has and what you can do there and the amount of freedom you have. Um, it's just, uh, it's just basically an honor like of sorts or something along those lines to say, like we made this magical time happen in our lives. And there was a lot of innocence to it and also a great deal of pain and tragedy that happened along the way that I won't get into at this point. 
there's more than just uh, the lyrics to the song behind the tunes. Then, there's, yes. Uh, okay. There's a lot going on behind the scenes. I I want to ask you. Uh, on just you know, there's is a lot of bands have a, a local pride and local followings and are proud of where they're from. And I think DeKalb is a very interesting example because not a lot of people have heard of it or know where it is. Um, and I wonder if. If you could describe what uh, what amount of your loving of this album and loving of the band comes from your own personal connection to the place. Um, well, I mean, like these friends, I've known them for close to 20 years now. Um, they'd all get the shirt off their back for you if you needed it. Uh, they're just very important people. So... Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I say sometimes DeKalb kind of saved my life because, um, I discovered Bicycle Day back in 2003 and I was like, this is maybe the greatest band I've ever heard. And, um, yeah, I just, I knew right away when I heard the album, I was like, I gotta go down and meet these guys. I don't know why, but sorry, I'm cheering up a little bit. This stuff no, no, that's, that's great to great to be honest and open about this. Uh, yeah. you're feeling, when you're feeling something, that should uh, that should convey itself to the audience. Um, yeah. I want to put a little finer point on it and ask you know. I asked you on Facebook, and is the effing in DeKalb effing city? The effing there is affectionate. Yes. I would say so. Yeah, it's, it comes from a place of love, not a yes. not not a because a lot of people from small towns or small cities they have this complex where, oh, I'm from this small city you've never heard of. It's the middle of nowhere. It's podunk, you know. And they're they're actually you know saying I want to get out of this effing city, right? But it's not it, the effing there is done with done coming from a place of love. Well, maybe a little bit of an inside joke too, because it's like you can also say about the cab like. There's thugs and drugs and killings and weird <laughs> stuff going on behind the scenes. And <laughs> You mean small town and small city life isn't it quite as wholesome as it might seem on the outside or from a, to an outsider? Yeah. And you could also <laughs> say there's nothing else to do in effing DeKalb than play music. That's where I, that's what I, that's what I thought it was coming from actually. Like, Hey, we're, we're in a small city and we're bored. So let's <laughs> that, dance about that it. That could be a big part of it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. It's a pretty funky track. They've got some uh, pretty warped kind of uh, bouncy beat in that song. I gotta say. Yeah. Um, and that's not the only, that's not the only regional reference. Just another, a couple times later there, there's a sample singing about Rockford. And so I want to, ask you in no uncertain terms is it is it necessary to have an overwhelming affection for uh northeast or north central illinois to appreciate this song or to appreciate well, this album? well the rockford song as a sample it was actually like a welcome cd to rockford like the and they have this chamber of commerce or something like, yeah like the singers like we've got it all in rock Food. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Paul found this CD and decided to sample it, <laughs> and Sorry. then he made a song with it. <laughs> he hasn't been sued by the Chamber of Commerce, so I assume. <laughs> apparently not. Get a, get a percentage of the royalties for that one. 
No, it's well, it's, it's like very. A few years ago, there was a an Illinois commercial, the tour Illinois, and they had this great song on it called like "I've Seen Amazing" or something like that. And for the longest time, I thought it was Walt Fabo. I thought somebody signed Walt Fabo now to make a song for Illinois. And then I asked him about it, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's definitely not me, but it sounds like me. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. All right, well, I guess the question is I'm asking then, if you played this for somebody from the south or if you played it for somebody from the coasts, would they uh, would they like the album as much as you do? Or is that uh, the local connection necessary to appreciate it? I think um, I think it's an album anybody can appreciate. I think it's I think it's just an infectious album. I mm. I can't think of like a bad song on it, and um, okay. it's it could like fit in an LA or something like like songs like Heat. Yeah, you could pump that on the radio in the summertime, and I think it could have been a big hit had it not just been made for fun. You know, well, that's the thing with big hits. I think you know anything, <clears throat> anything local. I mean, being we're going to say that for this the other album, the being catchy is not enough, right? What does it actually take to to get people to listen to it? I think whether or not people would uh, not from or who don't have the undying affection for North Central Illinois, um, whether or not they would like it, the chances of them actually hearing it are very, very small. And that's a, that's a problem with our music distribution system and just the way that people listen to music. I think. Yeah. So yeah, I, mean, I mean, how do you get yourself out there if you're if you're a local band, and you've got a you've got a strong local following. How does this, how does this, uh, you know, other than being available for free on Bandcamp, at first you have to know it exists and you have to find it before anyone's going to search for it on Bandcamp. So word of mouth yeah. is that is that the only way? Um. <laughs> I'd say a lot of it is about who you know. It's how badly you want it. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, like, my band Coordinated Suicides, um, Mike is a master of meeting musicians and talking to people, and I think he was posting on Premier Rock Forum a lot, and uh, our album came out, and after nine months of scaring the hell out of everybody in Madison with train wrecked shows, we record this album and um, it ends up being like a critically acclaimed album. And uh, I didn't realize at the time, I just thought everybody hated us. And then (laughs) the next year came about and everybody was like, these guys are geniuses. And it, it was kind of gratifying. It was like all this, pain and torment we've put into this music and it paid off well that's uh, that's a very uh, positive outcome yeah and uh, i think you know i guess the yeah getting getting past this local notoriety infamous being infamous as you say you can be infamous among a a circle of friends or a, a local following or a, a specific location, but just crossing that threshold into would anybody look up demons on Bandcamp for this album? And what do you, how do how do they get from? Because they're already you know if they wanted you know they want to be heard, they want to get their sound out there, so they're they're not going to charge. They're already not charging for someone to own their album. 
Yeah. But breaking breaking through this local bubble of 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 notoriety or infamy or fame even beyond that is something that I think we're gonna I you know continue to talk about and I think a lot of bands struggle with, especially bands that have a live show that maybe will give them a lot of uh, a lot of recognition. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, I'd agree. A lot of it is it's how much you want people to know about you. And if if you're not comfortable with the spotlight, um, maybe you should shy away from it. Well, I think that's, yeah, a lot of, I, you know, certainly a lot of people, maybe our bands are rather better off if they never reach that spotlight stage where, because they wouldn't handle it well. They would, you know, crumble yeah. under pressure or, you know, go into a, night, a nightmare descent into booze and pills, as the, as the old uh, yeah. cliche goes. It's <clears> like <throat> The Clash said something along the lines, I think Joe Strummer said, um, we wanted to be the biggest band in the world, but we didn't realize it would destroy us. <laughs> well maybe so would you say then that it's a good thing that most bands never hit the big time because they couldn't I would handle say it's it. great yeah you don't you don't want paparazzi following you around you don't want um what comes along with losing your um personal freedom and space mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it's like say you become the president of the united states of america you're going to have secret service following you around the rest of your life. <laughs> and as you know, for anybody that struggles with mental health, you get institutionalized and automatically you're treated like a five-year-old. Mm-hmm. Certainly a tough situation there. Yeah. But if your your passions and your, your love for your art lead to uh, some adverse yeah. consequences. <clears throat> yeah. Which does happen. It's good to have um, a great amount of freedom in anything you do. You wanna, you want almost complete control of your life and your artwork. And um, the more you do it on your own and out of complete love and compassion, um, that's really what you want at the end of the day. Right on, right on. Any other any other tracks off the album that uh, you would like to bring up? Well, I think most of it's instrumental. I think, if anything, it brings up more a lot of good memories. Um, Interesting. Just of a time and place that, I mean, I'll never forget it. The the album, yeah, as you say, is mostly instrumentals, which I think is a you know, yeah. commercial suicide. Most uh, almost any band, if you if you have an instrumental album, that's why the the two pop songs really really stand out from from among it and uh you know listener yeah. can judge whether whether the whether the pop songs deserve you know more uh, exposure or not and whether they could hack it in the uh, the world of pop music is uh, is up to the listener i think uh, i think that yeah. they, they the off to the races babylon did a little 8-bit kind of thing which i think is has its own cult following are you do you follow any 8-bit stuff yeah i've seen i've been to nottingham co-op a few times in madison and uh seen people that uh, perform with Game Boys they wired up and programmed music on. So Mm -hmm. there's actually a whole genre of music where people play their music on a Game Boy, which is pretty Mm -hmm. interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's a lot of nostalgia for video game music, and uh, I wonder if they're latching onto that trend. 
other things about the sound, I, other than the title track, I think they they have uh, the samples that they use. They're uh, oftentimes kind of potty mouthed. Is that going to give them an edge? To uh, is that the hip hop <laughs> element that they're trying to uh, offend older listeners? Would you play that? Would you play this for your grandparents? Uh, actually, I think my grandma would like it. <laughs> <laughs> But she's right. she's an open-minded battle axe of sorts. Excellent, excellent. I just love that woman. She's got, she's like Daniel. You better stay out of trouble when you go to Seattle. And I don't know who this Daniel person is you're talking about, but oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> Optimus no Grimes. Yeah, That's right. We're, we're keeping our uh, we're keeping our anonymity here, so that we can yeah. be totally honest. <clears throat> Headphone music. Would you would you describe this as uh, something that is best appreciated on a, on a huge sound system, or something that you can appreciate the subtleties on uh, when you're relaxing um, with a good pair of headphones? I'd say both. Um, it depends on how you're feeling. Uh, some days I like having the big speaker. Some days I like having my headphones. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great album to pump in your car. Like I can drive around my Volkswagen and play it. And it's got some good bass to it. And uh, you crank heat, yeah, on a hot summer day. You're like, yeah, this is the perfect song. <laughs> hmm. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Right. Uh, a lot of things. Uh, would you say that there is a target audience for this album? Um, who, who is this for? Who did they make it for? Is, this is for anybody that is a good friend of Paul Kim's. I mean, as you know, if you know Paul, um, he just walks up to you at a show and he, he'll hand you a stack of CDs. He'll be like, I just made this and uh, I want you to listen to it. You're a good friend of mine. <laughs> All right. So if you're if you're within a you know 500 meter radius, you're going to get something from him and you're going to yes. know the guy. But then yeah. again, the question again, the question again, I have to ask, is this is this. Is he trying to uh, establish himself as a as a DIY specialist or among bathroom studio or not bathroom bedroom studio enthusiasts? Is he, is <laughs> he, he may have recorded staking his claim. The There's good acoustics in there, I gotta say. Yes. All that all that tile, you know, you know, the sound stays I'm, in. I'm sure some of this album was recorded in a bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, I, I, I think that uh, you're clearly a, a social listener, or OG. <laughs> and yes. uh, you, uh, I think you, knowing the band, really uh, adds to your appreciation of, uh, of the music. And uh, yeah. having, having, seen, having seen somebody play live also, I know, influences you. And so yes. I wonder, you as this is more of a question to you as a person, you as a as a music aficionado, um, which is more important? Is it more important to uh, to know the people that are involved that'll make you like it more, or is it more important to uh, have seen and appreciate their live show, or do you think that uh, you're still more likely? I don't know if you know anybody from King Crimson. I presume not. I um, actually do. Oh, darn it. Okay. Well, I, <laughs> I, I don't think I've you know. Robert, I've met Robert Fripp. Okay. Well, they'll, they'll take it back then. <laughs> knowing knowing members of them personally, I'm trying to think of a, a super famous band. I guess you, I presume you haven't met Trent, Trent Reznor. No, he's someday. Okay. Not. Someday. I'm sure you're, you're, you're going to make it there. But knowing that you uh, don't know them personally, you don't know the band personally. 
and maybe I mean, you probably have been to a concert of theirs still. So, I mean, it, could, it, could you imagine a scenario where you just like the music and don't know the band and you haven't seen them live? Does that happen very often for you? Uh, yes, it does. I've, I think I've been to close to like 7,000, 8,000 concerts in my lifetime. All right. So... Uh, can you, you think of any to... examples? Can you think of any examples of bands that you love where you haven't seen them in concert and you don't know any members of the band? Oh, plenty, yeah. Give me um, some examples. All right, so there's this band with uh, two women called Girlwood. They're kind of, I guess, lesbian for back, lack of a better term, but um, <laughs> they're they're this great band I saw. And I was just so enchanted by it. Um, Wait a minute, you saw them. I, I want bands that you have not seen in concert. Oh, bands I haven't seen. You All have right. not seen in concert. You still like them. You don't know any of the members. I'm testing your how how much how much is your connection to the the music a social connection or uh, a live music well, connection? We'll take a band like Magazine out of Manchester. Howard Devoto was. Uh, the original lead singer of the Buzzcocks. I'm enamored with this band. I don't think I will ever get to see them in my lifetime unless I go over to Britain. And um, yeah, they're just a brilliant band. Secondhand Daylight is, in my opinion, one of the greatest albums, and I don't know any of them personally. But um, with music, you do it long enough you often figure out a way to meet these people and maybe work on ideas together. So cool, cool, cool. All right. Yeah. So it sounds like it sounds like though the most the most influential factors in whether you like something, it still seems like if you know somebody or if you've seen them live, that's more important than just listening to an album. Yeah, but sometimes the album's the catalyst. Um or the introduction, right? Yeah, Take Today is the Day, for example. I discovered them back in, uh, like, 1999, when In the Eyes of God was brand new. And I really didn't get it at first. I didn't really like the album. But now the album's grown to be maybe my favorite drum performance ever by Bran, Dalers, and Mastodon. But um, I spent years trying to meet Steve Austin, the leader of Today is the Day. And then finally one day, I think I poked him on Facebook and I sent him a message and he called me up. And, uh, or no, I bought a guitar off of him. I bought his first guitar. And after that, I just, it was like an outpouring of emotion. It's like, this music's meant so much to me. And uh, we've, been great friends ever since mm -hmm. i think of steve is almost like a dad now he's just he's mm. an amazing person and there's a great documentary out about him called the man who loves to hurt himself mm -hmm. i think i, I think heard that check it out mm -hmm. um so it seems like more likely than more likely if you if you hear an album that you like you're going to be personally driven to seek them out not only to not only their live concerts but to find them to try to meet them as a person yes yeah i og are you a, are you a music stalker i wouldn't really say i'm a stalker i'm more an admirer um okay. i find if if something means something to you you should probably tell that person because 
maybe nobody else ever will. They might. It's like uh, we'll take Nick Drake for example. He was painfully shy, and he he didn't think anybody liked him. And then after he died, people really had an outpouring and affection for his music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess just go back to the sound of the album, and uh, I think they're they're working with a lot of handicaps in that uh, albums that are based on loops and samples, which I think this uh, this album is. I don't think you would disagree with that, would you? No, uh, I wouldn't. Yeah, a, a, an album of a lot of loops and samples. Yeah, and it was, uh, it was Sam and Paul's foray and uh, trying to make a sample-based music project. Right, right, right. So that, yeah, I guess what I, I guess what another related question is, I, you know, this was this that this was your pick for your our first show it was surprising because I always took you for a rock and roll guy, and I think a lot of people, a lot of people when they listen to electronic music that is based on loops and samples, they're going to dismiss it out of hand and say these guys don't play any instruments or they've got a real handicap to prove that they're good at what they do. Would yeah, you agree or disagree. Um, I'd say from knowing Paul long enough, I. I was actually in shock he made an album like this because I knew him as a guitar player. Um, And he also had a great band called Veterans of Flight that was a prog rock band. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I knew... I didn't know Paul had an electronic producer element to him at the time. I This was Demon's first album, so it was... It was a complete surprise and a pleasant surprise at that. It sounds like any any musician who doesn't have two or three side projects going at any given time isn't worth its salt. So yeah, the shock is mutual. Then, if we do this again, I, I hope you'll uh, I hope you'll to- choose a rock album. But do you think uh, answering the substance of the question, is there any reason, or do you strongly condemn the many many people out there, the old school? old good old boy rock and rollers who say once you add a keyboard you're diluting your sound and you're no longer a rock and roller they're out there just listen listen to prog rock i mean (laughs) think us think of some of the greatest albums like yes close to the edge or in the court of the crimson king by king crimson are you gonna argue with that keyboard it's just killer. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, there's there's adding a keyboard to rock, and then there's having an entire album based on again loops and samples. So, are, are, is this in any way a lesser accomplishment than you know your guitar playing friends, uh, work in rock bands? Is this where I'd you say, would start people off, or would you say start with the rock albums? Um, I'd say whatever whatever fits your mood. I mean. Music's a subjective thing, and uh, you got to be in the right mood for anything you listen to. It's it's actually music's kind of like a drug, you know. Like it makes you feel good. It might help you unwind. You put the right song on at the right moment. It just hits the spot. Sure thing. Sure thing. All right, and maybe these uh, these songs will do that for you if you've uh, got the sentimental connection. <clears throat> yeah. But if you don't. <laughs> What is the if this is if this is your first introduction? You know nothing about the DeKalb scene. I'm trying to put myself in the in the shoes of my of our vast throngs of listeners out there, who mm-hmm. don't know who don't know the DeKalb scene and don't have any of the sentimental or personal connections that you have to this music. Will they respond to it the same way? And I'm 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 skeptical, frankly. 
I I would be too. I I honestly don't know. Um, I I personally find it to be very enjoyable music. I hope you do too. But yeah, I don't know. I I feel like it's an album you could play for people of many different races or whatever, and I think they'd enjoy it on some level. I mean, I mean, first of all, they don't come to this music knowing the DeKalb scene, knowing the people in the band, um, having been to shows in DeKalb and having the affection for North Central Illinois. If you're just yeah. an average person, even an average indie listener, which let's face it, is the only person who's ever going to listen to any indie music. Yeah. Your average high school classmate's never going to give this the time of day or any new music, really. Yeah. But just well, your average think- person, what are they going to say to it? I I'd hope the average person would find something to latch onto out of it, but um, honestly, I don't. It, it's up to you whether you want to enjoy it or not. I I play a lot of decal music for friends of mine, and they're usually like, "Oh, you you used to hang out with these people. That's pretty cool. I really enjoy this." So I I don't know. It's uh. It's all a subjective thing. Um, music sure. is a journey. Do you yeah, believe you in that? Always be looking for a new sound. I agree with that. I agree with that. Again, most people yeah. stop listening to new music by the time they turn thirty, and uh, hope that never happens to us. When that happens, OG, will you shoot me, please? So yes. <laughs> I'll do the same for you. There's there's no shortage of music out there. Keep exploring. Keep discovering. That's the whole idea. That's the whole idea. In order to entice people who lack those connections that you have, are there any, uh, a lot of what they do in the radio station to get people, you know, you'll send the CD to a radio station and to get people to even bother playing it once at all. I think a lot of promo companies and a lot of bands will use our RIYLs, recommended if you like. Um, uh, you recommend it for if you like something else. Honestly, I'd say like Apex Twin or something. Seriously, I disagree. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I, I disagree. This is this is this is a this is a what you call a, I think a indie indie electronica, and uh, uh, I think you're you're more familiar with the world of rock than the world of electronica, if I may just say. Yeah. Maybe right. maybe DJ Shadow. We'll say that. Oof, I don't know. <laughs> All right, that's I closer than Apex Twin. I'll give you that. They, there is more of a hip hop element yeah. to these than uh, than to Apex Twin. Uh, I, I just saw a great DJ Shadow run the jewels video where these politicians are fighting, and the one politician nearly stabs the guy with the American flag. <laughs> All right. Excellent. <laughs> No, I think it's important. I think the, the uh, how close to the actual sound of what you're recommending, I think it tells you it tells you what you know about uh, the music that's out there. And so for yeah. for my for my listening, I, I would say if anyone's heard of and you, I'm, tell me if you've heard of uh, these bands. Uh, how about Loop Guru? Haven't heard of them. Land of the Loops. Nope. <laughs> Telephone Jim Jesus. Nope. <laughs> okay, so those are all more kind of uh, <laughs> electronic groups that uh, work in some ethnic sounds, in the case of Loop Guru, and also uh, Sound Collage. Yeah. Where they're, uh, they're, they're sampling from uh, maybe something poppy or a cartoon or something. Um, I'm, which I I'm think kind of an edge lord, so I like my music really edgy. I, 
Right, I right. I like the stuff that kind of pisses people off. <laughs> right, right, right. Which is again, I'm surprised you your your first pick was you know was this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I mean, this is uh, you know potty mouth samples aside. This is pretty wholesome and uh, you know kind of groovy, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Paul. Paul More groovy than edgy. You, Paul treats you like you're his brother or something, and uh, he he has a real sense of family. So I think it comes through in the music. Sure, sure. It's a friendly, friendly, happy, feel good album. Yeah. You're not, you're not gonna, you know, get angry from listening to it unless you're really, no, really prudish about the F word. <laughs> yeah. What else do you have to say about this album? I'd just say check it out. It's it's kind of a lost gem, diamond in the rough of sorts. And uh if if anybody watches this, I have no idea where this is going up or who's seeing it or plastered all across the universe, I assure you. Okay, perfect. It'll be unmissable. Everybody on Earth yeah. will be required to listen. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'd just say check it out, enjoy it. Hopefully you enjoy it. And um, it brings back so many good memories and just it, it makes me feel good. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So then are you ready to give it a rating? Very systematically. Um, I'd say being that it was the first Demons album, it's not totally perfect i'd say later releases they perfected things a lot more they added a lot more vocals um i would give this album three and a half stars out of five okay oh that sounds uh that sounds reasonable um i I don't think it's gonna i don't think it's gonna hit the top 40 on the on the radio stations it's not gonna it's not gonna be the crazy new sensation that sweeps the nation um, but it's very pleasant. It's a feel-good album. It's, uh, it gives you that warm, fuzzy feeling sometimes, and you can use. It's not dance music per se, but you can dance to it. I my my rating system is out of ten, and uh, I'm going to say I'm going to give it only a five point five out of ten. Fair and, enough. Uh, and uh, this is this is because I lack those connections when I, I was you know putting myself in 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 that category of not knowing DeKalb before. You you've certainly made me appreciate it more. Yes. And I think that uh, as as electronic albums go, it's not exactly groundbreaking. And uh, no, it isn't. The bedroom recording, I I do instead favor more of a I guess a more of a produced sound with the with the I don't know more. Uh, I guess specifically, if you want to get specifically into it, and we'll talk about it in comparison to Iku, my, my, my next pick, when you're working with loops, I think there's a, a, a prejudice against home recordings, especially now in the 21st century, where anybody can do this in their studio by just looping something over and over again, and hey, now you've got a song. And I'm not saying that this album does that. I think it's gone beyond that. But I think there's, I think this is sort of in a mid-range. Let's say it's not obviously like I just got my first audio software and I'm gonna make an album. That's kind of like what my brothers did in high school. This yeah. is obviously this is obviously well beyond that. But I also think that there is an elite level of electronic musicians where there's a real of the loops. There's not only a variety of sources but also a progression in in the song that it's not just looping the same loop over and over and over again. It's actually that there's yeah. an alternation. There's maybe a build to something, a crescendo or a climax to the songs. And I wouldn't say that. I would say that that's approximately where this album fits in. Is that there's a it's a groove. You can dance to it. You can shake it. But is it leading somewhere, or is it just looping? I'd say I'd say it was very much just a fun album for them. It, 
I, I think it sure. shows that everybody that made it had a lot of fun. I believe it. And I don't I don't think there were any expectations. It was just more like, let's do something. This is DeKalb. It's boring here. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And I think, I think a lot of albums, and I think fun shouldn't be discounted. I think a lot of albums come from a place of maybe let's do something, as you say. Let's, let's uh, do something productive or let's do something that we'll remember or that we can commemorate our time here. As a, yes. as, a, as a memento sort yes. of thing. You end up in a room with some individuals. You kind of fall in love with them. That's how bands work. And um, it's like, it's only really going to mean something to you at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And maybe a few of your close friends most of the time. Sure, sure. Well, that's, I think, yeah, that's what every musician that wants to be more than more than just their own personal hobby or more than just for their friends and family and and sort of every every musician's going to face that point and they're going to come up against this how do i how do i expand my fan base and i think yeah. that's something that you are trying to do by uh if we're transitioning here to to my pick now I, your 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 own personal persona and what you use facebook for seems a lot of time you post a lot of music on facebook and on social media, I assume, if you use any other platforms. How does that work for you? Does that, uh, do people respond well? I'm kind of a poster, like, I don't get much response in the social media world, but then I run into people in the real world, and they're like, oh, you're my favorite Facebook poster, and I really like that music you posted, and it's like, well, why didn't you put a like on it or say anything to me? Yeah, we need a response. We need a response yeah. to know that we're making a difference. That's something, yeah, definitely I come across that myself, too. It's like we're putting all this work into uh, something, a list of your favorite bands or a list of your favorite albums from a certain year. Yeah. And it crickets, you know, nobody responds at all. Yeah. <clears throat> it's like, it's like even, even the most interesting factual news you can find, you post that and you get no response. Mm-hmm. But... It often turns out you run into somebody in the real world and they start talking to you and they're like, oh, that meant so much to me that you put that out in the open or said that. I, it's more like there's a discomfort level now with new technology. It's not like growing up in our small podunk town where you ran into the same people every day and you typically have a good conversation, but... I'm still in that podunk town and I still run into people I grew up with and they're they're very thankful you existed. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we are we should assume that we're posting into the void and maybe maybe nobody will will click on our our, our recommended links but uh, we should have faith that somebody out there is. I'd say it often appears that you get some gratification if you run into somebody in the real world that mm-hmm. saw what you said or did. Because okay. I I choose a lot of heavy topics to approach. Um, I, sure. I don't shy away from mental health issues or injustice. And I've always been an underdog of sorts. Like, I didn't grow up liking Michael Jordan. I was rooting for Clyde Drexler. So, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's it puts it into sports terms, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if you were to... Uh, and I assume this happens uh, on more than occasionally. You, if you come across a new a new band or a new album that you really love and you want to 
if and you want to get other people to listen to it and care about it, uh, what's your what's your medium of choice for pushing new music on people? You got to use a little bit of everything nowadays. Mm-hmm. Facebook is obviously the multi-billion-dollar corporation. Twitter's where you go if you want to talk to famous people, and uh, then Instagram is the artist social media. It's Instagram is just. Uh, I've heard people that use Instagram by choice because it seems like it's the best, most artistic of the bunch. Hmm. Okay. So I, I just assume that you're mainly using Facebook. Would you say that's not the case? You wouldn't uh, you wouldn't go to um, Facebook first? I'd probably go to Facebook first, but Facebook's for old people. Sure enough, <laughs> sure enough. You got to hit the hit the youth somehow. So I like I just joined a really funny Facebook group called uh, a guitar group for boomers or something like that, or a guitar group where people make fun of boomers. <laughs> Okay. okay. It's been making me laugh a lot. <laughs> okay. Well, there's some soft, soft underbelly there, literally, yeah. to be poking. So be careful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's I think that's the demographic we're hitting, and I don't think that's unfortunately I don't think that's the demographic that listens to a lot of new music. So how do we how do, reaching the younger people? I think is a real challenge. I don't know if yes. you have any younger cousins or anything or that you know have never listened to an album or don't own any albums at all. That's a real challenge then. Yeah, I'm I like talking to kids these days. I find I find kids really interesting. I've uh I've dated a few moms and uh I enjoy their kids. I I adore my nephew. But are so they cool. listening? Are the youth, are they listening to the right kind of music, OG? That's I would the real say they are. I, I'd say they're doing better <laughs> than their parents. Really? <laughs> yes. Interesting. How so? They're just so much more open. There's there's an innocence still in them that you lose when you grow up. You're talking about teenagers or kids under 10? Well, my nephew's only nine. I gave him my iPod, and the next thing I know, he's listening to, like, all sorts of music. One day, he pulled out the ipod and he had been listening to make a rising which are some really good friends of mine and the one member of make a rising is actually involved in the creation of the adventure time tv show and i i thought that was really cool Uh, my nephew pulled that out of his pocket and said it meant a lot to him Hmm. i have good memories of make a rising playing nottingham co-op and staying up all night with them and making pancakes in the morning and then telling me to call and sick into work. (laughs) Yeah. Well, dad, that's, that's good. It's all about the memories of this, uh, at this point. Yeah. My nephew also loves, uh, Mark Bolin and T-Rex a lot. They're there. I think they're, yeah, they transcend the generations. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I I remember, um, he kept saying I'm a dandy in the underworld. (laughs) (laughs) excellent excellent i have to listen to some more t-rex again my vinyl is uh has uh, met an untimely end so yeah uh, i ended up selling off a lot of mine as well but as long as we have the boomers that live long enough to keep buying it from us yes Um, and then we'll just we'll just inherit it all when they die so and cassette tapes are back now too of course of course yeah yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> Soon to be many discs. Many discs are going to be the next big thing. <laughs> right, right. Overall, if we're talking about media, would you say that uh, obscure and local artists such as demons are they helped or hurt by the dominance of streaming platforms? Um, I'd physical say media. Helped. I'd say say now that everything in the world can be obtained basically for free, um, I'd say that helps because there's no boundaries. It's not like growing up where you had to go to Best Buy and spend $10 on an album and hope you made a good purchase. Mm -hmm. You you subscribe to Apple Music, is that right? Yes, I do. And you, you find that works well for you? I do, actually. It I'm very much a old school album listener and I love how Apple Music makes you listen to an album. Makes you. <laughs> well, not ties your really hands on ties your ties your up ties you up and say yeah. you will hear the you will hear it from start to finish. Side well, A I and always, side B. I always I always hear all these musicians complaining about streaming now. They're like, I only make ten cents a download or all right, that's... less than that. Less. Like my album streamed five million times, and I only made five cents. <laughs> right, right, right. So related to that, you, you would say that's not a valid. Uh, that's that's sour grapes. That's that you're. They need to appreciate the greater exposure that they're getting, and and leave the financial concerns behind. Yes, I I have found music has allowed a great deal of freedom, and I always say, if you give me a place to stay and a place to shower, and a meal, I am set. Right up, right up. All right, well, I think uh, we're, we're going to have to have a debate on this uh, next time Next time you co-host with me. <laughs> okay, sounds great. Because right, I'm, I'm very much I'm very much of the opposing camp that uh, it's impossible to make a living playing music now, and I think streaming is hurting that. We'll yeah. save that for another day. We could talk about that for hours. As long as you're taken care of in life... You get all the basic necessities. Um, that's all you really need. Like you don't, you really don't need that much money to survive. And the way the world works now is everything is easily attainable. People drool over music instruments, and I'm just like a Fender P bass is. Everybody's got one. It's nothing special. <laughs> very well, very well. Well, we'll return to that. I hope I hope we can do this again sometime, and maybe we'll go into more depth on on the medium in which we uh, which we consume our music. But I want to okay. I want to I want to move on and transition to to my pick for the episode, and that's uh, of course uh, the band Iku. Okay. And before before I go into the record specs, would you say that there's any points of comparison between the two picks, between your your pick and mine? The two albums i'd say they're both very electronic-y okay um, <laughs> that's a new word i'm now my brain is totally spaced on what any of the songs sound like <laughs> <laughs> we'll jog I you just, we'll jog you there. i just remember it was very electronic-y and enjoyable and it had some really good vocals on it okay very good very good well we'll, we'll get into it in a second here i, I yeah. some similarities that i found and uh, related to what we talked about both of these bands have very strong regional fan bases but i think they didn't really uh i'm not sure about demons of course i don't know if they have a national national profile or anything but i think that these uh iku is from washington olympia and then the seattle area and i remember you were just there recently yeah yes uh an epic proportional disaster trip. We won't get too much into that, but my did summer you, has been 
a total nightmare of sorts. I asked you before, did you get to see the Chaz that got, you know, torn down and where there were no police allowed and stuff? Did you get to see all that? No, but I heard a very giant explosion and I thought my friend committed suicide. <laughs> all right, well, let's move on then. <laughs> we won't, uh, we won't go there. I was a little paranoid that day. <laughs> all right, all right. So obviously, obviously, Seattle especially has a very strong uh, music musical pedigree, right? And usually, yes, we think of we think of Seattle as a place from which. Uh, Bands that uh, started small and then blew up, so to speak, and became nationally popular where they originate. A lot that's happened so many times with grunge and, and a lot of rock bands and so forth. Their first album, they were on the, the rather infamous Calvin Johnson's K label for their first album. And so I've met Calvin Johnson before. He's a fantastic man. I've I believe you. With, um, I believe you. Wow, you've had dinner he's with a, him. He's a sweetheart. <laughs> he's, uh, he seems to be, the other than myself, has one of the strongest uh, independent music uh, agendas, I'll say, of anybody I, I've, I've heard. Yes. Calvin Johnson is just the salt of the earth. He he's a fantastic human being. Well, specifically, wherein he says, "Don't listen to popular music. It's not real or something. It's it's not uh, <laughs> it's not uh, cool. It's not hip. It's not radical. It's not <laughs> it's not progressive." I don't know. I'm putting words in his mouth, but that's the impression I got from the uh, yeah. from the document. So there's definitely an agenda. Calvin Johnson enjoyed his grits greatly at. Uh, Spring Garden in Rockford, Illinois. <laughs> excellent, excellent. It's, it's uh, added to the knowledge database. There. Yes. Comparing, uh, I, I mentioned, I mentioned my in my critique of uh, of the DeKalb Effing City album. I know I noted that the loops uh, are fine. They're groovy. They're catchy. They're ethnic, even. But I I, I think where where Iku maybe takes it up a notch is that they, 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 they go somewhere. They're, 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 they're structured towards different, uh, different goals within a song and so forth. So I think they, they yeah. both work with loops. And another unfortunate similarity is that they're both beyond their regional fan bases. They seem to have zero uh, recognition and that uh, neither of these bands is on AMG having user ratings. There is a review. There is a review of the EQ album on Bandcamp, which is where a lot of people go to financially support uh, support musicians nowadays. Um, yes, Bandcamp is wonderful. Please use go it. to Bandcamp. Hooray for Bandcamp! But on Bandcamp, yes. the Demons the Demons album have no supporters. The Iku band has no supporters. Nobody has bought this album. <laughs> Whereas for most bands, I mean that are pretty obscure you look at supporters there's a, there's always reviews there's always profile pictures of all these people that are supporting them <laughs> demons almost nothing iku almost nothing so that's that's another a commonality so it doesn't yes. doesn't matter it doesn't matter how good you sound or how much critical acclaim that you've got it can still mean nobody nobody likes you nobody's heard of you Exactly. Yeah. An unfortunate point of uh, of comparison. Let's uh, introduce this album here. Uh, this is the uh, Iku's second album, second full full length album. They had an EP at the turn of the century, a uh, really great one called Teenage Dream, which I recommend <laughs> to everybody check out too. Uh, this album is from the year 2004. It has 10 tracks. It's a little less than an hour long and 52 minutes. It is on the yeah. label Sonic Boom. And again, you can find find the links to their the band website, ikuiku.bandcamp. Uh, and also that's their website, ikuiku.iqu at uh, ikuiku.com. So that's their... Uh, 
that's their specs on the album. It actually you wouldn't mean? surprise me if EQ played in DeKalb, Illinois at some point. Entirely possible. They had a they had a lot of live shows, and I was going to save this for the end. But uh, other other reasons to expect that they do better and have more of a following, at least beyond their regional bubble. These guys opened for Flaming Lips. They opened for Built to Spill. They opened for uh, Mouse on Mars. So they span yeah. both electronic and rock. And so usually when you're when you're opening for a band like that. <clears throat> Would you agree that that's a pretty good springboard to more popularity, more exposure? Yeah, I mean, that's how I discovered Enon was at a Flaming Lips show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the Flaming Lips just seem like they're great guys. There's a wonderful documentary about them. Sure, yeah. yeah. And, uh, there was even a band I knew a while back that actually did some album with the Flaming Lips members. I can't remember their name now, mm-hmm. but... It escapes me. <laughs> well, it's, it's, I think the one positive, very positive thing I'll say, a lot of people who go to concerts, maybe you'll agree or disagree, that they aren't too kind to the opening acts a lot of times. They say, you know, just get, get your set over quickly, and we just, we just came here for the headliners, yeah. right? It's unfortunate. I, I, I think when you're the opening act, your goal is to be so good you blow the main act off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> if you well, even get almost- to... Yeah. You almost you get want to the make the main act a disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of times, there's I feel like a handicap. They don't get the best mixes. They don't. They only get maybe half an hour to play. That kind of thing. They're yeah, that's they're subject true. to a lot of restraints, and that's that's by design, I'm sure too. But at the same time, it's maybe the only way that uh, a lot of these bands are going to get heard by a larger audience. It's the, how you how you get the word of mouth out there. I yeah, think. it's I like think, take a band like Pearl Jam for an example. They they always take their favorite music along on tour with them, which is right. a pretty neat thing for a multi-million dollar band. It's a, it's a very good practice, and I'm glad that, uh, glad that we at least have that, even if a lot of audiences don't necessarily appreciate it. What did you think of the album? I, I was blown away by it. I absolutely loved it. So. Okay. Well, good, good, good. How would you, I mean, uh, you've never heard of them before, I assume. No, I haven't, which is okay. unusual because I I have met Kelvin Johnson before, but Kelvin is a man of mystery. He he loves to help his friends out and support them. All right, all right. I would describe the songs as uh, being of a very much higher caliber of electronic pop music or synth pop. And uh, for certain, some examples of the things, if you've heard the album, you can you can go check it out on Bandcamp at six dollars, or you can obviously stream it. The uh, the songs they all have multiple passages. They've got long bridges, and it's a very unpredictable sound. Like you never know what's coming up next. For example, yes. they use uh, they sample ringtones. They they have a, a period a piece, which is, again, what what production, what careful production skills I think. Taking taking an, a, a talented band to the next level, they've uh, they've got a sound where there's a, they're they're simulating or maybe uh, acting out a skit a skit of uh, girls at a, at a loud dance club in the bathroom, a bunch of girls talking, and that's you know like I remember oh. that song, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like I've not heard this before. They're doing new things. They at the end of the album, this is this is crazy, and I think I, I wish more. Uh, more artists would do this at the end of the album there's kind of a reprise or an encore medley 
that the last track, uh, A Pile of Cherries, is uh, revisits all of the songs on the album, kind of like a, a stage musical, which I mm-hmm. thought was really cool. And I think more bands should do it if they can, to, to, to ferry you off into the post-listening this album world, which, you know, I think this really does take you to take you to a new place. There's often choruses to the songs. These are pop songs. There are choruses that are instrumental choruses. It's so hooky, so groovy that you don't even need singing to know, oh, this is going to be this part of the song. I love this part of the song because it's so, so catchy. Yeah, I, I can only agree. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for agreeing. If you want to fight me for any of this, go ahead. And if you if you disagree, don't let me don't let me bulldoze you because I'm the host. They also work in uh, keyboards and and samples mainly. There's a lot of guitar, but I think the main what's going to strike a lot of people in the live show and on the album, and you can I think comment more on this is the prominence of the theremin, the obscure sci-fi god of crazy instruments. Would you yes. what do you think of theremins? I, I love them. <laughs> Who doesn't love a theremin nowadays? It's so it's yeah, so it's, it's it's pre-retro. It's not even retro. It's like <laughs> it's and, a, and you can even look pretty cool playing one. Absolutely, absolutely. Because <laughs> you're doing weird things with your hands. You're like <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be lost on our that's going to be lost on our listeners. Your hand motions there, but, but rest assured. Yeah. Just performed some very virtuoso movements with his hands. <laughs> Rest assured, listeners. <laughs> so a lot of people comment on this album. They love the they love the cover of "Loving You" on the theremin, the instrumental version. Yeah, they, that's a that's an album standout for a lot of people. Um, <laughs> you're pro theremin. We're all pro theremin. Uh, does yeah. a theremin? You'd think that would be a novelty. People would say, "Hey, I check out this band that plays pop music with a theremin on live and stuff." Apparently, didn't happen. I don't know. What is it going to take? <laughs> Nobody's paying attention. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I mean, this is a band. I if I ever have the chance to meet them or see them live, I honestly don't know if they still exist. They've got the website. The website says their last show was in 2006. So oh, no. So, probably too late. Yeah, they're long gone. <laughs> but, um, yeah, through the magic of Facebook, you can often look up your favorite musicians, and you can send them a message and say, hey, I really like you. Maybe we <laughs> should hang out or chat about your music and oftentimes they will reciprocate and be like oh thank you i'm glad i meant something to you <laughs> maybe maybe i should try try doing more of that I, I applaud you for your bravery and your taking the initiative to to start the conversation i would never think to actually you know contact even for this this podcast i haven't really contacted anybody yeah say hey we're reviewing your album for our show i did I did call up Paul from Demons and I left him a message, but I haven't heard anything back. But mm-hmm. I assume I will probably hear from Paul in the soon and near future. Well, knowing knowing them personally again is, is going to be a, a good connection. I think I think this is this is of the caliber though that I don't need to know them, and I can just admire the album and admire the sound. And uh, yeah, to add yet another 
to add yet another layer of intrigue. Um, these guys are, they met when they were young. You can, you can check their website for their press kit. And uh, they grew up in Japan until they were almost teenagers, and then they met each other and formed the band. The Japanese connection, OG. What, uh, <laughs> what, do, you think of, what do you think of the practice of using oftentimes Japanese female vocalists in, in groups such as Inan, as you mentioned, the household name, I'm sure everybody knows. Uh, is- Inan, I mean, Believo is kind of a continuation of Brainiac, per se. Mm-hmm. And it's got kind of what Brainiac was doing on... Uh, electroshock for president and took that to another level but then you add toko to enon and i think it gives it a totally different sound i mean high society is my favorite enon album sure sure i I don't know i'm not sure that i could name my favorite enon album but again the practice of using a japanese female vocalist is something a lot of bands do obviously um I don't think she's actually Japanese, but uh, Deerhoof, who's uh, who's the lady there, another Asian American oh, yeah. female. My, and, my uh, friend Dan Dietrich here in Madison is actually brothers to the Dietrich and Deerhoof. I think they had some Midwestern Midwestern roots, I recall. Yeah, yeah. And my friend Thalem McDonough has a band with the guitar player from Deerhoof that's also got Mike Watt in it. Excellent, excellent. I saw Mike Watt play in China. That was it was quite a good show. Mike Watt is amazing. I mean, anybody that gets the chance, go see him. He's also one of the nicest guys you can meet. I think he's walked up to me and given me a big bear hug, like, on multiple occasions. <laughs> Seems like the kind of guy who would do that. I, I you know, only watched him yeah. watching the other opening acts and then playing a set, which was great, in Beijing. It was very nice. Yeah. Um, keeping you on topic, though, OG. <laughs> <laughs> You still haven't answered the question. You're you're pro you're pro theremin. We got that. We got that out of you. I'm going to ring you one more time. <laughs> Asian female vocalists, specifically Japanese female vocalists, are you pro or anti? Pro. Okay. What well, can you expand upon that? I love the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> ladies are nice, aren't they? Okay. Well, that's yes. maybe, we don't, maybe we don't need to go into too much more depth there. Yes. Surround <laughs> yourself with women. They make you feel good. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Uh, the Japanese flavor on this album is is strong. There, there is at least one song. I think the title track where they sing in Japanese. Obviously, also the Japanese flavor is there for quite literally flavor on the song Hamachi, singing about uh, the Japanese cooking style. So I, I that these 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 points all lead me up to the question: Where are the otaku? Are you familiar with the otaku, Oji? No, I'm not. Well, I'm not the expert here by any means, but the otaku are the Japanese geeks who love who love anime, and okay. uh, presum- presumably also J-pop and music and all the AV geeks, basically for Japan. Yes, but I In think words, uh, the hipsters. <laughs> goodness, goodness, goodness! Now, there's this is an important distinction to draw. In our high school, would you describe the people who loved anime as hipsters? <laughs> I would not. <laughs> yeah, I guess Dudson. I don't know, but <laughs> I would I would describe the people in high school who liked anime as very very socially awkward and not cool. <laughs> however, <laughs> however, there's been some change as anime has grown to be mainstream popular. I think uh, Studio Ghibli has had a lot to do with that, and so it's more socially acceptable to be an anime fan, especially if you're in the U.S. And whether or not it's cool, let's put that aside. There's a lot of people out there who like this stuff, right? 
Yeah, there is. There's no shortage. Quite a large group. It's certainly a larger group that likes anime and and likes manga and that sort of thing. That's a much larger group in the United States than the group of people in the United States who like synth pop. Yes. Okay. So Japanese synth dollars. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm just joking. Okay. So where are they? Why aren't they flocking to this band? Why uh, it's unjust. I fight for justice, and I think it's uh, it's not right that the otaku in the in America are not haven't put their haven't put their force in numbers behind this band, whether or not they are cool, which I of course think they are. Yeah. Well, like every band you're in, you're just a moment in history, and you might be the biggest thing one day, and then. I don't know. I can think of a lot of people that have done very bizarre things in bands and then they're blacklisted and nobody's ever going to listen to their band again because everybody thinks they're a terrible person. (laughs) Whoa. All we are is dust in the wind, dude. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Let's see the new Bill and Ted. Yeah, I can't wait to see that movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw you posted about it. But getting yes. back to getting back to Iku, so some problems. Why I'm, I'm asking all these questions. Why isn't there this up groundswell of support? I've, I've got a few theories, and I hope you hear, hear me out. This is getting to be the rant portion of the program, right? Okay. Spout off. But uh, a couple of things that I've seen for reasons why they maybe didn't, you know, sustain their brief moment of popularity, if there ever was one, or why they didn't expand beyond their regional fan base. First, they changed their name. It used to be ICU. So that doesn't help when you change your band name. I don't know if it hurts that much, but they changed to Iku, Iku. Also, it's kind of hard to pronounce. You, you say, did you see the new Iku show? And you try to look up Iku. Oh, yeah, you can maybe pretend as a hipster. You can maybe say, oh, yeah, I'm way into Iku. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then you go <laughs> home and you, and you Google Iku and you didn't realize you didn't know how to spell it. So it's kind of hard to Google, right? <laughs> Could be a problem. Yes. Um, and finally, finally, what the uh, what the hipster actual hipsters at Pitchfork. I don't know if your opinion your opinion of hip, of Pitchfork dot uh, com, but I think they are. That's the kind of uh, the hive the hive of hipsters. Um, in their description and others, uh, they describe the band as not having built up enough momentum. Their first album is 1998's uh, Choto Mate a Moment, which is a lot more uh, improvised, almost experimental almost in- instrumental, definitely not a pop album. And that was well-received. And that was 1998. And then they had an EP in 2000, again, Teenage Dream, which uh, you should check it out. It's more of a rock-oriented uh, song, uh, also with a lot of Japanese elements. I thought it was great, but it wasn't as well-received. And that's, of course, two, two, two years later than their first album. And then four years passed, which is apparently an absolute eternity in the world of music. Would you agree? Uh... It depends. I mean, the new coordinated suicides album's been four years in the making. Not that well, I'm here as well. I mean, you're you're gonna start from scratch again, sir. Yeah. It's like it's like everybody, all your 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 laurels, you can't rest on them if no one remem- remembers them. And so that's yeah. apparently what happened. Apparently, four years between albums is just way, way, way too long. And it so, depends on if you're playing live shows too. I'd say getting yourself out there and playing the live shows helps out a lot. According to their website, they played plenty of live shows. Uh, every they list all of their live performances by year from 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 their inception. Um, yeah. So I, I I question that, and I think that you know they just missed missed the boat, or a lot of their fans forgot about them, or they 
never hyped them up enough. I don't know. It's a, it's yeah. a, it's kind of a, 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 a personal pet peeve or a bugaboo even. Like why, why aren't they big? Because I think they yeah. deserve. I always wonder that about a band like Enon too, or Enon. I I actually heard it pronounced Enon. Right, right. Well, they do have a following though. They're they're in, in, they have serious indie rock cred, and they you know I think they have multiple albums. I don't know if they have. Did they break up? What's their story? They broke up. John and Toko were actually a couple, and uh-huh. uh, I actually saw a Brainiac reunion show a little over a year ago in Brainiac's hometown of Dayton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And it was fantastic. I think I actually saw Louis Vasquez from the Soft Moon there, and I almost walked up to him, but I was like shy. I was like, that might not be Louis. I might be making a big mistake. <laughs> There's a problem. Facial recognition. Yes. Yeah, like, you know. But there were all sorts of celebrities at that show because Brainiac became a huge deal. Absolutely, absolutely. So both of the Brainiac Enon, they're, they have they have a following. It's it's solid. It's a fan base. It's not going away. They're loyal. They'll travel. Yes. They'll travel halfway across the Midwest to go to a new show because they like them a lot, right? Yeah. You didn't you yeah. didn't forget about them. You didn't forget about them even though they broke up and they didn't have any new albums for a while, right? Yeah. I mean, Brainiac is the ultimate tragic story. Tim Taylor, the guy was just a total monster and a force and he just dies when they're about to get signed to a major label it's just like does it get any worse than that a lot of tragedies out there unfortunately and the you know that's i think it'll go back i'm going to bring this up again when we debate uh financial compensation america needs to get on the wagon and support its musical independent artists musical and otherwise and I, I would encourage anybody to do art, even if it's just for therapy. Um, well, this is not this is not necessarily what I'm talking about. You say you're okay with a house over your head and a meal on the table. I'm saying we need more than that. We need to be able to drive a safe van so that your band van doesn't crash. We need health insurance. Yes. Country like Canada, where it acknowledges we this is Canadian culture. These indie rock groups are Canadian culture, and they have the Canada Fund, where you can apply for a grant to make yes. a new album. Right? America needs to, you know, learn from other countries in terms of supporting its artists. They do, yes. The artist, um, the musician's life in America is so hard. It is, but you also find if you envelope yourself in the culture you start to figure out you really don't need that much to get by on (laughs) all right we'll come back to that another day (laughs) yes (laughs) i want to ask you uh i want to ask you would you have any recommended if you like bands for for iku like some of what i've heard yukio from my way my love do like yukio posted a track with a female singer a few weeks ago because i talked to yukio every once in a while um and uh he had a song that was similar to that so yeah i would check out some of what yukio murata does um not he's well known in japan but in the usa i don't think anybody would know who he is anymore um yeah you're familiar yeah we mentioned enon uh are you familiar with uh, cornelius no i'm not Okay, we're getting into Japanese stuff here. Also, Chibomato, 
Pizzicato oh, 5, yeah. Shibuya K style, kind of pop style, Japanese pop. Obviously, yeah, this I should be. Yeah, some Shigomato uh, vinyl, and I know they played Madison a few times. I yeah, guess. They, they've been playing live again in the 2010s. I saw them once. Yeah, and in, I think Nelson LA. is married to Yuka Honda now. There you go. Yes. It's all connected. So, again... Yeah. These are all popular groups, too, though. I think that uh, if you're into Japanese music, and I think a lot of Americans are, um, then you've heard of Chibomato, like you say, and Pizzicato Fi was very popular, and Cornelius was also very popular in the, in the 90s and so forth. That, again, leads to points to the injustice. Like, these are, I think this album is right up there with them, and I'd probably rather listen to this Iku album or the previous one rather than most of those that I've just mentioned. Sure, and I think the the criticism on uh, on some of the press kit is that uh, initially when you hear it, you might think it's a wannabe '80s synth pop or retro sound or a Japanese '90s sound. The Pitchfork review said, uh, and I quote, "This sounds like a party that happened a few years ago," and I think that's really I, unfair. Really unfair. I, I say never pay attention to the critics, but <laughs> if you want to stroke your ego a bit and. You want to feel good about your music? Sometimes the critics do help you in that regard. Okay. I mean, it certainly helped in regards to coordinated suicides, because I, I thought we were just an absolutely hated band, and then the reviews came out, and I was like, I felt completely thankful that somebody got it, finally. It's you have a little bit of professional support. Somebody who gets what you're doing. Yeah, that must be yeah. wind in your sails, for sure. It is. So I, I ask you then, I ask you then, you seem to be ambivalent. You have some things for and some things against. Uh, what is your, in your larger uh, frame of reference as a musician, as someone who organizes concerts and venues, what is the role of written music criticism today? Um... Well, I would say I like the reviews where they just paint a picture of what the album is and don't even offer any real criticism of it. Because I see like, as a, yeah, like a good friend of mine, I guess we'll say Grant Phipps, he's a writer for a bunch of publications, but uh, he, um, I love his reviews because they're so detailed and they, they give you a really good impression of what you're about to experience. And I like that he's not very critical of it. It's just more like, this is an experience. This is so what there's, you're going to see. There's lots of different ways in terms of detail, and I, I want to probe you a little yeah. bit by what you mean by that. Do you mean it goes into technical things like time signatures and harmonies and uh, what instruments are played, or do you mean overall feeling for details? Some of both, actually, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I always know I'm not going to like the review where they where they badmouth something and say like this sucks. But is there is bad that, music? Let me ask you. Interrupt you very quickly. Is there bad music out there? I don't think there is. Wow, I should have asked you this a lot sooner. We we'll have to come back to that another time. Okay. No bad I music. Will, you heard it here first, folks. Something that is pretty bad. 
you, you heard it here, folks, that first. There is no bad music in the world. All right. <laughs> I, I will think of something that is pretty bad. Uh, for another time. For another time. All right. But, but go on about music criticism. What is, what's their role? What do they do? Is it worthwhile? I think it. I think it's great as a springboard. I like like I said, my friend Grant. Um, I love that he just paints a great picture, and gives you a good impression of what you're about to partake in. In this world of streaming, where everything is accessible at a mouse click, is it necessary? Is there a role to play for anymore? Are we just, you know, before, we, at best, Frank Zappa said we were dancing about architecture, which was the wrong thing to do, obviously. Um, but at least that had a role to play. Is there any role for it? I mean, because you can just, why bother reading a paragraph about music or a whole page when you can just go click on it and see if you like it or not? Why bother? Um, I think curiosity. <laughs> If you're curious, go click on it. Go listen to it. That's what it's for. It's meant to be listened to, not read about, right? Yes. You're supposed to enjoy your life. Life <laughs> is for playing, as Perry Farrell said. Okay. Good, good. We should, yeah, just quote musicians for the rest of our time here. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. So real quickly, what they, what has been said about this this album, Iku's, uh, Iku's Sun Q album, I think that uh, it got generally high praise. AMG gave it four stars, positive, very positive, if not glowing. Entertainment Weekly, A-, even Pitchfork, which I often criticize for being just a, a hive of hipsters, they gave it 7.6 out of 10, although they said it was a little bit dated, as I mentioned, and it, they said uh, when, it's, uh, when it's cutesy, that gets a little bit de derivative, but overall positive reviews. And I've only seen one negative review on Discogs, and, uh, you know, screw them. But uh, it just goes to show, I think, that uh, you can receive high praise even, not just uh, this. They're not going out and say you have to drop everything, drop everything you're doing and go listen to this album, which I think is basically hype at that point. I wouldn't trust yeah. it. Uh, nothing is that great. But I think uh, even when you're all the people that matter, let's say uh, the, the the press kit for Iku, they, they list all of the different local newspapers that that reviewed this album, they almost uniformly positive, which I don't think they'd put a negative review in their press kit, probably. But um, in the end, I, did it matter? I would say not really. They're still extremely obscure. No one's ever heard of them. So I think either, either music criticism matters less in the 21st century or it never mattered at all, which would you say? Yeah. I think it never mattered at all. <laughs> never. So people never read Rolling Stone and said, hey, I'm going to go find this album that they think is great and listen to it. That never happened. Okay. Or Spin Magazine. Matter. Yeah, I, I <laughs> renege that statement. <laughs> so it matters more who you are as a critic. If you're, if, you're, if you're your friend, again, your personal connection, if you have your own music critic guru who knows the best music and knows how to market it to you, you listen to them but ignore everybody else. Music can be a popularity contest. I hate that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you live in Madison long enough, you begin to realize it's like high school here. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, if you stay in the area where you grew up, I think that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of what happens. Yeah. You got, you got those people that are devoted to the punk scene or the garage rock scene or whatever scene. And they don't tend to go outside all the boundaries, but I, 
I've always tried to go to a wide variety of shows. Um, I've actually become friends with a lot of jazz musicians lately because I realized I wanted to get my chops better. And I figured, jazz is absolutely a happening thing. And, uh, yeah. Another another entirely underappreciated just style of music. One of my best criminals currently is a saxophone player, and I've had him play some sets with me, and it totally ups my game because. I put him in a higher class of musician than a lot of these punk rock kids coming up. Knowing how to play your instruments may be of yes. some value. Maybe. And I, I'm trying to do things that are pretty complicated in High Priest of the Apocalypse. I believe you. I believe you. I'm trying to play some proggy metal insanity and weird time signatures, and I need capable musicians. I'm not going to beat around the bush with it anymore done with that yeah, yeah right. yep back to criticism would there ever be a case where you read where you read uh something in a music criticism website or magazine if you're old-fashioned that would convince you to go listen to something immediately on apple music has it happened uh i'm sure it has yeah i've i always had rolling stone as a kid and I'd be reading Rolling Stone and I'd read a great review and I'd be like, I got to pick that up. Then it also was a double-edged sword. I'd read a review for an album that gave a horrible review and I'd go pick it up and oftentimes I'd be like, that's the greatest album ever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'd be interested in your, your top 10 list of greatest albums. So we'll, we'll get to that at some point too. Um, okay. Uh, well, I think that... Uh, do you have anything else? I know you, you you're kind of a blur. Have you said in terms of this this album, but you did like it. Yes, I found uh, I found it less less cohesive than the previous work, but I still liked it more just because uh, it, there are so many high points. I mean, every song really for me is like amazing. I can listen yeah, to it. All, I, I can listen to it all the way through, and yet it's very very different from song to song. There wasn't a part of the album I didn't enjoy. Well, I think then we're. Uh, I think we've covered most of the bases, and then we can get to the rating stage. How would you rate this album in your system? Honestly, I would give it four and a half stars. I'm Whoa. not going to say it's completely perfect, but very enjoyable. I'd recommend it to anybody, and uh, yeah, I think it was great. Excellent. It's, it's a shame they didn't get more exposure when they existed. Right, right, right. All right, I, I, I'm right there with you on high praise. Uh, I gave it, uh, out of 10, I gave it an 8.5. And uh, I think that's because they're doing new things, not only novelty with the theremin and the Japanese connection, but I mm -hmm. think just overall they're playing, they, they used to have a stand-up bass, and they used to also have a, in their live shows. So it was really a combination of acoustic and electronic uh, instruments, which I think is... Not necessarily rare, but it's really hard to do well, and it's really hard to do cohesively, where it doesn't just sound like, well, it doesn't jive to have a stand-up bass and a sequencer or a sampler and going off on, uh, yeah, exactly, on that and still come together as a song. Which I think all of these, all of the songs here, really are they they could work as a single. I would play them on my college radio show. And uh, sure. people would, and I would expect people to call me up and say, "Hey, what is that?" And that's the best thing as a radio DJ that you can expect is to get some response like that. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you know, there 
there's never going to be another second chance for them unless they come up together with a with a new album. And at, at, at no point do would I expect there to be you know a groundswell of interest in a new album. I think it's I think that that point is passed and it's sad. That yeah. they, they they're not going to get a chance to have their their third album, which you know some I've heard some stereotypes saying that the third album is the most you know difficult. Once you heard third album, it's like our, you yeah. know who you are as a band, and we don't. We knew it. We never got to know Iku as a band. We never got to know, you know, what is their core sound, and are they able to become commercially successful? I they think they say could you have. Got your whole life to record your first album, and then, <laughs> then your albums after that. Who knows if they'll ever happen. Right, right. I, I should be grateful that they got to do more than one, and just the, just how different the first album is compared to the second one, really makes me sad that I won't get to hear a third in all likelihood. Yeah. So, hate to end on a sad note, but uh, if Demons ever wanted to up their game to be as technically and innovative and uh, and groovy as they as they they wanted to go to that next level from I think what I think was I don't know if you agree. It sounded like your rating. You you would say you agree that. They're kind of a mid-level, certainly competent, certainly interesting, but maybe not quite elite level. What do you think? I'd say they are. I'd say their newer releases are at an elite level now. Okay, I'll have to listen. But, but I would say, I would say that's their first album where they were trying something new out, and it was more just a very fun project for them. Having fun. All right, all right. So I'll I'll check out their newer stuff and see if I agree with you on their upping their game. But the yeah. reward, what I want to say is that the reward for becoming slickly produced, very catchy, having a full-length album that I think is uh, listenable all the way through and has a lot of highlights, the reward for that is the same. Total obscurity. <laughs> yeah. You can be great. You can be the best of any subgenre that you can name. And no one will care. No one will pay attention. No one will approve. That's you. that's basically the story of Decal music. It's these <laughs> brilliant people that put all their hard-earned love into it. And I used to say, "Oh, one of us is going to make it big," and they laughed at me. They were like, "They're like, no, we're never going to make it big. You don't get it. You're just crazy." Radio. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Well, I mean, we've done our we've done our part, I think, today to uh, to try to do a little bit to change that. And I uh, hope so. I hope we've, yeah, I hope someone out there appreciates it, and I hope somebody out there listens to these albums and uh, appreciates something that we missed. Yes, and someone with more power than we have will do their part too to to get the to get the word out. Yes, and my advice to anybody to close it out is go. Learn a music instrument, play in a band, draw a picture, do anything you can to keep yourself occupied, happy, and content with your life. <laughs> That's what it's all about. Creative yes. expression, any which, any medium, any which way you can. Yes. Put it out there. Enjoy right. yourself. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we've been going for almost two hours, OG. I think... Uh, we can wrap it up then. It's been a pleasure to talk with you, and I hope we can do this again sometime. And you'll you'll maybe uh, show me some other things within your uh, within your circle 
of breadth. Okay. Of what you like. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to criticize too harshly. I know you're. you're this is a personal personal favorite for you, and you say you don't like negative reviews. I hope I wasn't too harsh. No, I I'd say it's fair. I'd say first first album into your foray of sampling, and it's a success because you simply tried it out. <laughs> I do. I know there are no unsuccessful experiments in some some uh, some points of view. Yes, the mere act of doing and putting something out there is a success. Exactly. So. Yes. Right. Every baby step is a triumph. Excellent. <laughs> That's a more positive note we can end on. So go check out these uh, go check out these albums on Bandcamp. It's not going to break the bank. Thanks for listening to out of obscurity on behalf of uh, all the uh, obscure artists out there i'm dj pazur and optimus grimes i'm sure we'll be hearing from you again soon okay great it was an excellent time and thank you for everything all right good night out there